You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Yes, a very important topic for Christmas this day and age, and uh, a question that lots of people are dialoguing about and trying to get to the bottom of. So let me just say a few things real quick. First off, if you have questions on what we're talking about today, you can go to slido.com and ask your questions. Just type in uh, 1208. Once you get there, it'll take you right to our page. Please note this. We're not going to discuss the questions after the message today like we usually try to do. I just don't think uh, we have time with everything else going on today. But if you ask your questions there on the podcast, we put out uh, we put our messages on Sundays on the podcast, but we also put midweek editions on the podcast. If you have questions on today's message, ask them on Slido, and we'll do our best to, to look at them on the podcast. So today we're going to look at a little bit of a hot topic. I know, just what you want to do for Christmas, right? Get at each other's throats and try to figure out... Uh, solving an issue that everybody's been talking about. Uh, But it is going to be a bit of a hot topic, and it comes out of the Christmas story. I uh, typically just preach my way through the Bible, so when hot topics come out, it's uh, because I'm trying to do my best to work with the material the Bible's giving me. So if you have problems with what I have to say, you got to duke it out with the Bible later, not with me. That's between you and God. (laughs) Or, you know, taking on a different interpretation than what I'm giving you anyways. So here's our story, Matthew 2, 13 through 15. So Jesus has been born, and this is what happens after. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. We have to recognize something very important uh, in the Christmas story right here. And it should speak volumes to us as we recognize it. Jesus, as a baby, was under political persecution. His life was at stake in which the country that he was in and the politicians that uh, ruled over him basically made an action that forced him to flee to another country. Of course, today we have a word for what Jesus has become here. He has become a refugee. He has taken refuge somewhere else. And we just have to recognize right here in this passage, in the Christmas story, Jesus was a refugee. Refugee Jesus. I was looking for songs about uh, Refugee Jesus, and Jody and I were a bit thrown off when we found a song called Refugee Jesus. It was just one word. It just seemed like a really Christian, cheesy Christian thing to do. Uh, but I, I didn't put it all together. It's Refugee Jesus. And that's what uh, we need to talk about today. Now, People consider the conversation of refugees to be a political one. So a few things I just want to say about politics really quick. I've been told before, Jamin, don't get political in church, but here's what you have to recognize. The middle part of your Bible is very, very political. It's called the prophets, 
And it's these dudes that God raised up and said, go tell the kings they're doing something wrong. Whether it's moral, ethical, uh, just something they've done in their life or how they're ruling their kingdoms. Go tell the kings they're doing things wrong. Go tell the nations they're not living right. And so you have stories all throughout the Bible, especially in the prophets, where God specifically raises up people to say, I need you to address the politicians because they're supposed to work for me and they're not listening. So you as, politi- or you as prophets need to be my voice. You know what they often did to these prophets? They shut them up or they killed them. Jesus would say like, hey, we sent you prophets before I came, but y'all weren't listening. You kept killing them. And Jesus, of course, lives out the same message, right? Jesus comes like, here I am, and here's the word of God, and they kill him. So to say politics should not come up in church is to ignore the very middle part of your Bible. In fact, it's really to ignore the entire New Testament because you have to recognize Jesus was incredibly political. I've been told that Jesus was not political at all, um, mostly because you don't see him addressing the hot topics of the day. But you have to understand this. Jesus' message, his favorite message, that theologians are always like, this is like his favorite thing to talk about, is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And because we in America are always thinking of heaven as like, I go to this supernatural place when I die, and not recognizing heaven is here right now on this planet, and God, Jesus is telling us it's already here, start living in it, and one day in Revelation, he'll bring the fullness to this planet, so that we'll be living in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Because we don't uh, recognize that, we think like uh, there's no politics to it. Heaven's this place we go. The kingdom of heaven's this place we go and we die. No, kingdoms are always political. That's kind of the definition, right? <laughs> and so when Jesus comes and, and he starts doing these subversive things, talking about a kingdom, there are people like, what are you talking What is this heaven? What is this kingdom of God you keep talking about? He walks around and he does subversive things. It's so subversive that it would be like this. Think of someone raised up in Jackson who starts walking around saying, hey, my name's Bob and I've started the kingdom of Bob. I'm the president there. And if you come live in the kingdom of Bob here in this little house in Jackson, Michigan, you can live by my rules. Don't even worry about the rules of anyone else. What what does the president have to say? I'm Bob. (laughs) I've got full reign over here. So come live in my kingdom. This is literally what Jesus is doing. He's walking around telling people about his favorite message. Hey, God has a kingdom. This is a kingdom of Rome. I don't care. (laughs) Come live by God's kingdom. Well, we live by Rome's kingdom. I don't care. Come live by the morals and the ethics of what God wants you to live by. Pledge your allegiance to God, not to Caesar. Pledge your allegiance to God, not to Trump or to any president for that matter. Or to America. The the point of the Gospels here is Jesus saying, I am king. I'm in charge. And I've got a kingdom that I have inaugurated to be on this planet right now. And so when it comes to any decision you make... Any policy that's created, any kind of politics that go on in the world, your concern as a Christian is not about what anyone thinks other than Jesus. Because he's the one in charge. So when we say don't get political in church, you've crossed out the kingdom of heaven. When we say don't get political in church, you kind of pulled out the middle part of your Bible and threw it in a fire somewhere. The Bible is very political because it expects, to us, it expects us to live by a higher standard. And really, that's really part of what got Jesus killed. 
Like, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, you don't understand. I'm the king of the world, really. I could call down angels from heaven right now and just flood the whole place if I wanted. But he didn't. Instead, he took on a cross because he was even living by the kingdom of heaven. And God was telling him, I know, Jesus, you keep saying, is there a different way we can go other than the cross? But this is the way. And Jesus is not my will, but yours be done. So. There's your little political speech and why we would need to talk about refugees and really see what the Bible has to say about it. What does the kingdom of heaven believe of refugees? Honestly, we just saw Jesus was a refugee. And that means if we build policies that don't care about refugees, guess who we don't care about? Jesus. If we're concerned with building, if our biggest concern is putting up walls between us and refugees, guess who we are putting up a wall between? Jesus. If we would like to strip children out of parents' arms and throw them in cages, guess what baby we're ripping out of people's arms and putting in cages? It's Jesus. And you might be, no, 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 Jesus already came, Jamin, you, you forgot. <laughs> it's not like being born all over again and we're doing it to him. No, because Jesus said what you do to other people, especially the least of these and the strangers and the naked and the hungry and the thirsty, what you do to them, you do to me. And Jesus is not just saying like, ah, you fed them, you fed me. He is also saying, you put them in a cage. You did that to me too. So we have to talk about it. And honestly, uh, the Bible's pretty straightforward as to how we are to treat foreigners, strangers, refugees. You can use whatever word you want. The Bible often just uses the word sojourners. We today are, are more concerned about the background of a foreigner. Are you a refugee? Are we letting you in because you were chased out of somewhere? Are you an immigrant just trying to get in? The Bible is just like, ah, eh, we just have this blanket word sojourner, and we apply it to no matter what your background is. Uh, and the Bible talks about them all over the place, including the Old Testament. This surprises me. Many of you here might be afraid of the Old Testament. If you thought that you're going to find a place to, to find peace about foreigners, it probably didn't seem like the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament, we see genocide. We see holy wars. We see God commanding things that really make Christians very confused today in light of the cross and in light of Jesus. And we're trying to kind of sort out what to do with all these passages. So we're like, surely the last place we'll find anything nice about foreigners would be in the Old Testament. But guess what? The Old Testament has a lot to say about foreigners, and it says it over and over again. Leviticus, perfect example. Leviticus 19, 33-34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns with you as, or you shall, sorry. <laughs> you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as you love yourself. Does this sound familiar at all here? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All right, let me pause and just say I love the last line, right? Because this is God's parenting skills right here. It just sounds super familiar to me. God's saying, you will love the foreigners. You'll treat them as natives. You will love them like you love yourself. And he already knows Israel's going to be like, but why? And so he's already given his qualifying statement back. Because I said so, right? I am the Lord your God. Because I'm God, that's, that's why. We see this passage pop up in the same way. See, you just saw the same words go straight to Exodus. 
He shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. This is a stick-in-your-eye mentality here. Israel treating foreigners badly, forgetting that they were foreigners themselves. That God pulled them out of Egypt. You ever have this happen in your own life? Like, you had a sin in your life. You're stuck in it forever. You hated it. You want to get out of it. You finally got out of it. And then you ran into someone else down the road who had the same sin and you yelled at them for it. You ever been there? And you're like, you scream at them or yell at them or whatever. And then you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) No one ever screamed at me or yelled at me. I had the same problem. I had a... A friend once, he said, his first open vision, he was driving his car. Seems like a bad time for God to give an open vision, but (laughs) where suddenly things are kind of, you see like a video playing in front of you or whatever. But he's driving his car when suddenly he sees this image of himself kind of pinning his son up against the wall, yelling at him for something he's done. And then he just heard God's voice say, I never treated you like that. It's exactly what's being said here in Exodus. Yeah, we see God saying, look, I loved you. I took care of you when you were sojourners. Now, when you come in contact with sojourners or foreigners or immigrants or refugees, whatever you want to put under this blanket word, you're going to treat them like I treated you. That is the, at the heart of what God is trying to say here. Because... That's part of the mission of who we are as human beings. If you're always wondering, like, why am I here? Genesis tells us you're built in the image of God. Image, it's like a verb. That means you go and you image God to the world. Everything else is under your authority. God put humans in charge for some reason. So a rabbit should hop by you and be like, hey, the image of God right there. You know, like, (laughs) there's something distinctly different about you than the rest of creation. And God wants us to image him in the same way he's imaged kindness to us as sojourners, so we image kindness to others as sojourners. Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. He loves the sojourner, loves the refugee, loves the immigrant, loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. He takes care of them. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. We go on, but we're not going to, except you can look at this. Exodus 22, 21, Deuteronomy 24, 16 through 18, Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7, Ezekiel 22, 7 and 29 for basically the same material just being shoved in our face over and over again. One has to wonder if God would have said it even more if people were really listening because you don't always see Israel do a great job of taking care of foreigners in the way that they're supposed to. Okay, so that being said, we have uh, the Old Testament telling us you take care of foreigners among you. You love them like you love yourselves. You treat them as natives. You give them rights. You watch over them. Let's move to the Gospels. The Gospels do the same thing. The Gospels so much are about loving people outside of yourself, outside of your race, your ethnicity, your culture, your background, that we honestly don't have time to talk about the Gospels. So let's just move on. Uh, Uh, We will highlight two things really quick. God said the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. In other words, if you're going to love God, one of the ways in which you're going to do it is by loving others as you love yourself. Right? So that right there, 
God didn't give like this qualifying, we accept that foreigner over there. You don't have to love them like you love yourself. No, it's just everyone. You love them all like you love yourself. Uh, but uh, rather than just like go through every passage where we see Jesus being kind to foreigners, let's just go to kind of the ultimate summation here, right? It's a verse we've already talked about, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, in which Jesus on judgment day, as the new kingdom is coming to earth in its fullness, gives a distinguishing mark between who gets into heaven and who doesn't. You know the story. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know you. Maybe you don't know the story. The story goes like this. Jesus looks at the sheep who have taken care of the stranger, clothed the stranger, given them water, giving them food. He looks at those people and he says, all right, you're in. But then he looks at those who didn't take care of the stranger, didn't love them, didn't feed them, didn't give them water to drink. And he leaves harsh judgment on them that apparently they're out. They didn't image God. In fact, the same thing's true in the spiritual world. Like this isn't just like something that applies to humans. It applies to the spiritual world as well. Psalm 82, God comes before all of the spiritual beings and says, look, all you spiritual beings, you've, you've done a bad job. You have not taken care of the people that I want you to take care of. You haven't loved them. You haven't shown them justice and mercy like I assigned you to do. And so in the end, you're going to die like men. Even though you are spiritual beings, you will die like men. Psalm 82. And when, and when we look at Revelation, we see these spiritual beings rising up to fight God, and they die like men, along with the humans who did not take care of the people around them. So that being said, we see just as God in the heavenlies has a rule about how we are to love one another, so he has a rule on the earth and in heaven how we are to love one another. But this isn't even new about this judgment between taking care of one another and not taking care of one another. Malachi in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, he said basically the same thing. He said, this is God's words through Malachi. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. That's a pretty powerful passage right there. And usually I expect like the sins to get worse. And maybe they do in God's eyes. This, this is kind of surprising to me. It's like, I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers. We're like, yeah, sorcery is bad. That's, that's a no-no. <laughs> and against the adulterers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad one too. Those who, who swear against others falsely. Okay, yeah, I guess we've all told a lie, but that's bad. <laughs> against those who don't give people the money they deserve. Oh, oh I mean, that seems a little smaller. <laughs> the widow and the fatherless. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And when we look at verse like that, we're like, well, we're all kind of guilty of that probably in some way. And we realize we all have to bear a weight here. And then, of course, if we were to move past the Gospels to the, uh, to the rest of the New Testament, we just see that the primary aim after the Gospels is about reaching the nations. This was hard for the early church to learn. 
And somehow 2,000 years later, it's still kind of hard for us to learn. But the early church, after they realized what Jesus had done, they started to realize they had to get out and reach everybody else. They thought God was just coming back for them, for the Jews, for their people. And now God's like, all right, send you all on mission. Go out into the world and make disciples of every nation. Go everywhere. Tell them God is open up for adoption. He would like to adopt them into his family. And that's the mission that we still live in to today, because that's how the Gospels ended between when Jesus is coming back later and, and when he left at that time. And so we see that like the primary focus of the rest of the New Testament is go to the foreigners and bring them in. And just to be frank, it's kind of hard to do when you build up walls between you and them or you treat them as a different person because then it's hard to love them as you love yourself. If we were to fast forward all the way to the end, we see in Revelation the ultimate vision of what uh, God is aiming for eventually is the kingdom of heaven in Revelation 21 where there's 12 gates and you're like, yeah, now you can fortify on every side. But guess what in Revelation 21? The 12 gates are wide open. And the Bible's specific. They, they don't close. Their point is to be open. <laughs> now, I will say this. In Revelation, sin has been done away with. Evil's been done away with. There is only light left in the world, implying like you couldn't get away with darkness. You couldn't get away with evil and sin anyways. So why should you have to close your doors? Everything is finally what it needs to be. So by all means, Revelation is not an image of what it is today. But still, we need to keep in mind God is taking us at some point to a place where we'll live in this perfect peace, where doors and gates and walls can be wide open for people to come and and dwell. I know that's a different time, but that is what's ahead of us. So with that being said, uh, I want to end with one verse, because this is very important of everything that we've learned so far. Peter, who had a hard time learning to reach foreigners, by the way. Yeah, all the time he's getting called out for stuff. Paul even scolds him in the Bible. (laughs) I bet Peter's real happy that that ended up being scripture down the road, right? (laughs) But Paul calls him out. Paul had a hard time wrapping his mind around the fact that they were supposed to reach foreigners. God gave him a vision to go and eat with a foreigner. And he's like, okay, I'm not supposed to eat that kind of food. And God's like, you can now. I made it clean. He's like, okay. So he goes and has dinner with this foreigner. And he begins to tell this foreigner about Jesus because he knows that's why he's there. But he's just kind of like dialoguing about what Jesus did. There's no like, we don't get to the point where he's like, and now he would like to extend an invitation to you. You know why we don't get to that point? Because God cuts him off. (laughs) Here's Peter saying, so this is what happened. Here's how Jesus fulfilled a bunch of prophecies. And suddenly the Holy Spirit baptizes these foreigners with his Holy Spirit, and they begin speaking in tongues. And Peter and his friends who came with him are just like, uh, <laughs> as though like, I wasn't going to do that, God. What are you doing? You know, like, you, you're reaching the wrong people. Jews over here, we're the ones who get the tongues and, and all that. And this began to shape Peter's mind and shape Paul's mind and everybody else's mind, so much so that the early church had a council meeting in the book of Acts and said, Hey, these things happen where the Holy Spirit came on the, the foreigners. What do we make of that? And so Peter slowly begins to adapt his mind to realize God loves and wants to bring foreigners into his family. 
And if you fast forward more, you see again Peter get called out by Paul. Peter's eating with some foreigners. And then he sees some holier people coming by who wouldn't be okay with him eating with foreigners. And he's like, you ever do that? Like, you stand up. Like, I don't know these people. <laughs> Basically what Peter did. Like, hey, got to go, guys. See you later. Hey, guys, how you doing? You know, trying to look better to these holier people, if you will, who, of course, are lacking holiness because that's not holiness. So Peter struggled with reaching foreigners. Yet in the end, he understood that as Christians, we are all foreigners. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 2.11. This is what I want to leave you with. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as foreigners, as refugees, as immigrants, as outsiders and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage, against, which wage war against your soul. Here's what's at the heart of what Peter is saying here. He understands, and he talks about it in the second Peter in his next book. He understands that the new heavens and the new earth are coming, and that is where we live. That is our kingdom, where Jesus is king, and his kingdom is the kingdom that we live in. And Jesus understands because that is a Christian's ultimate reality, that our time here on earth in whatever kingdom and whatever country that we are in right now... We're technically foreigners here. We don't belong here. We're off. And that's why he goes on to say, like, uh, uh, fight the passions of the flesh. Why? Because you don't live in a world where there are, where you're supposed to live by such passions. The kingdom that you live in, you need to beat those passions and live by the Spirit. It's a hard process. But Peter understood our lives need to be shaped by the world that we live in. Heaven, which we live in. That is what our lives need to be shaped by, not wherever we might find ourselves on this planet. So much so that you can imagine Peter seeing us as Christians, we're the foreigner. People walking down the street, they look at that Christian's house and they're like, huh, those people are weird. You're the Ned Flanders of the block, right? (laughs) Two of you watch The Simpsons, okay. You're the strange one. You're the odd one out. People whisper about you as they walk by. And we got to be honest with ourselves. If they don't, maybe we're not weird enough. Maybe we don't look like we're from the other kingdom. A conviction I think all of us need to have to some extent. But here we see Jesus telling us. Or sorry. Here we see Peter telling us. That we are strangers In America, they were strangers in Rome. The church that's persecuted in China and other places around the world, they are strangers where they are. And that's often what gets them killed. We often are so comfortable in our Christianity in America where the rest of the world understands, like, if I'm going to live for this kingdom, it's probably going to get me killed like it got Jesus killed. That's exactly what happened to the early church. Nero had these famous garden parties where they would take Christians, tar them with animal skins, set them on fire so that they had some light for their garden parties. Christians were human torches. Why? Because they were the foreigners. They were different. They didn't belong there, and people found it weird. And so they didn't care about them, and they killed them. And that's a struggle for us. We often don't look like the kingdom of heaven because we're not persecuted enough to recognize the difference. 
So that being said, I don't come to you as a liberal or a conservative today. I come to you with the Bible and saying, look at what God says. He loves the sojourner, the blanket statement of the outsiders. He always has. And we see it in Jesus. And because we see it in Jesus, we look at the Old Testament and we're like, oh, it was there too. <laughs> book of Jonah? What a weird book. Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, the outsiders, get them, get them to, to worship me. Wait, when, since when do you care about Nineveh? <laughs> Isn't it just us, the Jews? God is for everyone. We are all imagers. We are all human. And look, I get it. I'm not a politician. I don't understand policies. <laughs> I don't know if it's as simple as just open up the gates and see what happens. One day I think God will make it that simple. But uh, I'll leave that to the wiser people to figure out. But it should be erring on the side of grace and it should be recognizing what is a loving thing to do and what is not a loving thing to do. And perhaps throwing tear gas in the eyes of people already beat up is not the thing to do to love Jesus. So with that being said, uh, feel free to look over the verses I've shared with you tonight. Feel free to embrace Jesus, God in flesh, to see what he has to say. And remember, if you are going to celebrate Christmas this year, if you are going to really get into the Christmas story, then you have to recognize that your Savior was a refugee. And that should make a difference in how we live today. Ben can come to the stage. God, we just, uh, we bring our minds to you. A lot of times we're afraid of our own safety, and so... People become issues to be solved rather than people. Uh, hate becomes easier to spew rather than love. And we just have to recognize in the end, it's, it's, all about, it's all about your vision. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. And we may not always understand what the right policy may be. But we do understand that... Uh, Paul and Romans believed that the governments of this earth were to uphold justice on your behalf. And God, sometimes people take that to say that the government therefore can do whatever they want and that's a God thing, but that's not at all what Paul was saying. Paul was trying to say if they're doing the God thing, then they're doing just things. And if they're not, then we are to be like the prophets of old and call them out on the wrongs that they're doing, for we are from another land. And we especially call out wrongs when it is injustice towards another person. As far as people making policies as to what they want to do, sometimes that's a bit harder. But when it comes to somebody doing violence against another person, God, you call us to say this is not okay. And so we take the passages that we've looked at into account today. And I pray uh, anyone, no matter where they're at on this conversation, you just warm their hearts to see what you see. And I may have even blurred some lines here and there of what you meant to say. So uh, just uh, give us all your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.